0: About a Girl is a production of iHeartRadio and Double Elvis. You know about Elvis Presley, the king of rock and roll, singer, actor, the blueprint for everyone who followed, one of the most significant cultural icons of the 20th century. But this is not about Elvis Presley. This is about his wife. The mother of his only daughter, the teenager who first caught his attention and then later ruled his kingdom, Priscilla Presley. This story is about a girl. Priscilla Beaulieu was just 14 years old, but she was already getting used to men looking at her. The one staring at her now was at least 25, tall and handsome. She'd seen him around before, watching her. She tried not to let on that she noticed. Shy and anxious, Priscilla was the kind of girl who burst into tears and apologized to everyone when she was crowned the queen of her junior high school. Not the kind of girl who felt comfortable talking to grown men, especially in surroundings as unfamiliar to her as Wiesbaden, Germany, where her family had just moved. As an Air Force brat, Priscilla was used to moving from place to place. She lived in six different cities in ten years. But in Wiesbaden, she didn't even speak the language, and there were few other Americans anywhere near where her family was stationed. They'd moved into a local hotel that turned out to be a bordello. Every day after school, Priscilla would flee to the Eagles Club, a mostly empty canteen for Air Force service families, where she'd spend her afternoons feeding quarters into the jukebox and writing teary letters to friends back in the States. That was where she was when she first noticed the man who was staring at her now. Before, he'd kept his distance. Now he got up and sauntered over to where she was sitting with her younger brother. He asked her name, and she told him, but warily. In Germany, it was strange for her to be approached by anyone, especially a grown man asking her questions about herself, even if he was an American. He told her his name was Curry Grant. He asked her if she liked Elvis Presley. Of course she did. She was an American teenager. It was almost required. "'I'm a good friend of his,' the man said. "'You know he's stationed here in Germany? "'My wife and I go to his house quite often. "'How would you like to join us one evening?' "'She said she'd have to ask her parents.'" Priscilla had never been an Elvis Presley superfan. Other kids back at her Texas junior high had been real fanatics. Girls wearing hound dog pink lipstick and Elvis bobby socks boys with newly-grown pompadours and sideburns. Priscilla's father had presented her with Elvis' first album because he'd heard it was what the kids were crazy for. Her mother said she thought he was obscene. Priscilla had seen him on TV and thought he was pretty dreamy, though she didn't say so. When she'd learned that her family was moving to Wiesbaden, her friends had teased her that she was going there to meet Elvis. Everyone knew he was stationed in Germany for his heavily publicized stint in the army. She joked along with them. Right, I'm going to Germany to meet Elvis Presley. That was silly, of course. But this man, Mr. Grant, told her that Elvis would be pleased to meet her. Elvis gets lonely here. He could use a nice girl to talk to. It took Grant two weeks to win her parents' approval. Her father only finally agreed because he knew Grant's commanding officer. He figured she'd be safe with an Air Force chaperone. She dressed in her best outfit, a sailor dress with white shoes and socks. Mr. Grant picked her up at eight and drove her to Elvis's house in a nearby town, a drab-looking three-story house with a white picket fence and a sign in German saying, Autographs between 7 and 8 p.m. The living room was full of people, And there was Elvis, in a red sweater and tan slacks. Wow, it really was Elvis. Mr. Grant led her over to him. What have we here? Elvis asked. This is the girl I told you about. She sat down next to him, and Grant disappeared. There was an awkward silence until Elvis asked her if she was a junior or senior in high school. No, I've only just started high school. Elvis started laughing. "'Why, you're just a baby!' He was ten years older than her, and she felt her face begin to flush. Elvis got up and went to the piano and began to play. The room hushed. Priscilla gazed around and immediately felt uncomfortable. She caught sight of a giant poster of a half-naked Brigitte Bardot. Everyone in the room was an adult, and they were drinking and smoking. "'What was she doing here?' Then she noticed that Elvis was trying to get her attention. He seemed to be playing especially for her, showing off. She felt blazingly self-conscious. The party began to break up. Elvis ushered her into the kitchen where his grandmother was cooking for him. He started in on the first of five huge bacon sandwiches and asked Priscilla who the kids were listening to these days. "'You,' she said." Everyone listens to you. A few days later, he asked for her again. And again, her parents were convinced with some reluctance to let her go. She rode with Mr. Grant to Elvis' house and stood awkwardly in his crowded living room once more, listening to him play the piano with a bunch of adults she didn't know. But this time, he sidled up to her afterwards and told her he wanted to be alone with her. He did not mean in the kitchen with his grandmother. He meant alone in his room. She was flattered by his attention. Elvis Presley. It all just seemed so unreal and so sudden. She knew only enough about men to know you didn't just go to their bedrooms, no matter how famous they were. He could see her hesitation. There's nothing to be frightened of, honey, he told her. I'll never do anything to harm you. I'll treat you just like a sister. She couldn't resist him. He had her go up and wait for him alone in his bedroom so they wouldn't be seen leaving the party together. After one of the longest half-hours of her life, he joined her. She later maintained that nothing happened between them that night, that Elvis just cuddled her on his bed, talking about his recently deceased mother, Gladys, and how he blamed himself, his absences from home, for her early alcohol-fueled death. At the end of the night, he kissed her on the lips. She clung to him, in his arms. She was entirely his. Her parents soon insisted on meeting him. On the appointed evening, she waited anxiously, playing Elvis' records over and over until her father shouted at her. But Elvis arrived on time, and she watched as his small-town, polite sirs and ma'ams put her parents at ease. When her father asked plainly what Elvis' intentions were, he answered, Well, sir, it it gets kind of lonely. I guess you could say I need someone to talk to. Priscilla was a nice girl, he said. And mature for her age. But Captain Beaulieu didn't have to worry. Elvis would take real good care of her. After that, her life changed. She was living for Elvis now. She saw him regularly over the next six months. He'd call at seven on a weeknight, tell her to be ready by eight. For an hour or two, she would be a shadow in a corner of the living room while his guests and there were always guests, fond over him. At around 10 or 11, he'd catch her eye, and she'd know it was time to slip away, up to his bedroom. When he would finally join her, he'd hold her close on his bed. In his arms, she felt faint with adoration and lust. She begged him to take her, but he said she was too young. He wouldn't touch her at least not in the way that mattered to her parents and to God. He wanted to keep her pure, he told her. I love you, she whispered, and he put a finger to her lips. Shh. I don't really understand what it is I'm feeling. I've grown to love you, Silla. Daddy keeps reminding me of your age and that it can't be possible. When I go home, only time will tell. She'd listened to his hopes. He wanted a real acting career like Marlon Brando, and his fears that his fans would abandon him. She was tender when he was melancholy, bubbly when he was cheerful, whatever he needed her to be. He told her that he was glad she was so young because he had the chance to mold her into his perfect woman, a blue-eyed brunette, loyal and innocent, meek and devoted. Not like his stateside girlfriend, Anita, whom he was worried was cheating on him, or the other women he'd met here in Germany, some of whom were downstairs at this very moment, hoping for their own tryst with the king. She fell behind in her schoolwork. Everything else in her life seemed less real than him. When he realized how tired she was between attending school and attending to him, he suggested that she try dexedrine and gave her a handful of little white pills. She carefully tucked them into her keepsake box. And then, abruptly, it was over. Elvis's army service was complete. He flew back to America. She locked herself in her room for two days, neither sleeping nor eating. Word of her close relationship with Elvis got out. There were reporters at her school and requests for interviews. But with that relationship severed by an ocean, interest in her faded away. Now she was like any other lonely schoolgirl, pining for Elvis Presley. The only difference was that she was farther away from him than most of them. Her parents told her to forget about him, that he was going to forget about her. Two years went by that way. Though, he did not completely forget about her. From time to time, the phone would ring, and it would be Elvis. Calling to tell her about a movie he was shooting, or a record he was making, but those calls were few and far between. The rest of the time, she scanned the news like the most dedicated of fans, trying to deduce whom he might be dating, maybe fallen in love with and she could hardly bear the pangs of jealousy that came whenever he was linked to the Hollywood-it girl of the moment. Instead of writing to her friends in Texas, she wrote to him, I need you and want you in every way. And believe me, there's no one else. I wish to God I were with you now. I need you and all your love more than anything in this world. He didn't write back. She hadn't heard from him at all in months when he called her in March of 1962 and asked if she could come to Los Angeles. Again, it took some wrangling to get her parents to agree. But at the end of the school year, she found herself on a plane bound for California. She was 16 years old. Elvis had told her parents that she would stay with him in LA, surrounded by chaperones. He took her to Las Vegas. They checked into the Sahara Hotel. It was going to be their first full night together, but his words started to slur as they got into bed, and soon he had passed out from the sleeping pills he'd taken. She cuddled his unconscious body and admired his long eyelashes, the curve of his lips. The next morning, he played her some of his records and asked what she thought. These were slower, more ballads, a little old-fashioned than anything she associated with Elvis. She told him she liked his earlier stuff, like Jailhouse Rock, and he flipped out on her. Said he got enough amateur opinions, and he didn't need hers. She never said a bad word about any of his records again. Later that day, she began to undergo the transformation that Elvis had planned for her. First, he took her shopping, buying her a suite of long ball gowns, The kind a movie star might wear. A much older movie star. Then he had a professional come to the hotel to do her hair and makeup. What's wrong with my hair? Priscilla asked. Nothing wrong, Elvis explained. But everyone had their hair done in Vegas. And also, her eyes were too plain naturally. She needed mascara to make them stand out more. I like a lot of makeup. He told her. That made sense, she thought. Elvis knows best. That night, and every night for the two weeks they were there, she'd get dressed up and made up, and they'd go see a show, or to a party, or to play the gaming tables. Already jet-lagged from her flight, her sleep schedule was turned upside down. The days and nights blurred together. Elvis gave her pills again. Uppers to keep her awake, and downers to help her sleep. This time, she didn't save them. She took them. She could see no other way to keep up with Elvis's fast-paced life. And they made her feel bolder, more confident, like someone who belonged to this glittery world. She was adapting. When it was time for her to go back to Germany, she held him and wept. But Elvis told her he wanted to bring her to Graceland his home in Memphis. Go home and be a good girl, he told her, and maybe you can come for Christmas. That night, they did just about everything, except have sex. He was saving that for their wedding, he said, and she had a promise to stay pure when she was away from him. Remember, I'll always know. She nodded. To her, the idea of wanting someone other than Elvis was inconceivable. When her parents saw her, they were horrified. Look at yourself, her mother hissed, holding up a mirror. Priscilla had spent the whole flight crying, and the heavy mascara she had gotten used to wearing was smeared all over her face. Christmas at Graceland, her father told her, was out of the question. But after a few months of Priscilla wearing them down, her parents once again relented. After her first night at Graceland, she was exhausted. She hadn't slept for two nights leading up to the trip, and Elvis and his entourage had her up until 4 a.m. partying. But Elvis knew just what she needed, two 500-milligram Placidils. She woke up two days later, December 23rd, and Elvis's father was arguing with him about whether to take her to the hospital. But Priscilla recovered by Christmas Eve, when Elvis gave her a puppy named Honey. She gave Elvis a musical cigarette box. He told her that he really loved it, and she wished she could always make him so happy. She caught him eyeing other girls, and he told her it wasn't her place to tell him who he could look at and who he couldn't. She was hurt, but she knew he was tense. It was hard for him to spend the holiday without his mother. His mother who had died because she loved him too much. At a New Year's party, Priscilla drank four screwdrivers and was sick on the way home. But then Elvis took her clothes off and kissed her all over her body. He almost broke his vow not to deflower her. Almost. This time, going back to Germany was even harder. She was brusque and short with her parents. She skipped school and went into town to drink instead. Every night, Elvis would call her, and they'd stay up late talking and laughing and planning. Elvis's idea was that Priscilla should move to Memphis, alone, for her last year of high school. That way they could be together, almost like husband and wife. Once again, they set to Baudry and her parents. Elvis needed her with him, Priscilla explained to them. At one point, her mother broke down, sobbing. Why can't he find someone his own age? You're only 16. What is this man doing to our family? Priscilla and her father got on a plane to the U.S. not long afterwards. Her father was there because he wanted to make sure Elvis' intentions were good. Elvis had promised to do right by her, that she would live with his own father and stepmother, that she'd enroll in a good Catholic school, that she'd be chaperoned and protected. And at first, Elvis kept those promises. At the good Catholic school, other students quickly found out who she was and they stopped and looked when she walked down the hall. Sometimes they'd smile and wave. Once, Priscilla had found a note that had ended up on the floor. It had her name on it. She picked it up and opened it. That's Priscilla. She's supposed to be Elvis Presley's girlfriend. If we'd make friends with her, do you think she'd introduce us to him? Mortified, she withdrew further from her fellow students, uncertain of who she could trust. Mostly, she withdrew into Graceland. More than just a home, it was Elvis' own private kingdom, separate from the rest of the world. Before long, she abandoned the sham of living at Elvis' parents' house and moved into Graceland. It didn't matter that she couldn't have friends over, that her pocket money was doled out sparingly by Elvis' father, or that Elvis had put a stop to the job she'd taken modeling. She only needed him. Elvis made sure she was dressed the way he wanted, sometimes sending her to change several times before he approved a day's outfit. He had her dye her brown hair black, his preferred color for a woman's hair. At school, some of her classmates were applying to colleges. Priscilla was trying to decide which gown would look best with the pearl-handled pistol Elvis had given her. Life was Elvis, and Elvis was life. He still wouldn't have sex with her. Instead, they began role-playing, acting out sex fantasies they captured in home movies or Polaroids. Sometimes she was an innocent schoolgirl. Sometimes a seductive secretary. She was whatever he wanted her to be. Elvis finally asked her to marry him shortly before Christmas of 1966. Well, at least he told her they would be getting married, and she was thrilled. Being married would finally validate their relationship. Mrs. Elvis Presley sounded nice. It was better, certainly, than lover or live in Lolita or any number of even less kind descriptors that had been applied to her. It had been about five years since Priscilla had first come to live in Memphis. She was 21. They married in Vegas the next spring. The ceremony was brief, a blur of vows and flashbulbs. The press conference afterwards lasted longer. Her father shook Elvis's hand, and her mother cried. When they got home, Elvis sang Hawaiian wedding song to her as he carried her over the threshold. Then he carried her up the stairs to bed. The photographers and reporters who had come home with them cheered and applauded. It was still daylight when he laid her down on the king-sized bed and they finally, finally went all the way. It was the happiest day of her life. He told her she couldn't take birth control pills. Too many side effects, he said. Elvis followed pharmacological news very closely, always checking on new depressants and stimulants entering the market. So she figured he must be right. When she told him she was pregnant, He was ecstatic. She was afraid. She'd wanted to spend time as husband and wife, finally free and alone. While she had figured distantly that they'd have children someday, motherhood had not been her goal. Elvis had been her goal. She wanted to be beautiful for him, to be as attractive as his glamorous co-stars. And she dreaded being laid up and helpless with a fat stomach, stretch marks, and a puffy face. Women use the excuse of their pregnancy to let themselves go, she'd often heard Elvis say. She thought about having an abortion. Elvis said he would consent if that was what she wanted. It's our baby, Priscilla sobbed. I would never be able to live with myself, and neither could you. He gave her a smile of approval. When her water broke... She took the time to apply mascara and false eyelashes and tease her hair before they drove to the hospital. Lisa Marie Presley was born on February 1st, 1968, healthy and beautiful, with silky black hair like her father's. She's so perfect, Elvis said. Even the color of her hair is right. For a moment, in that hospital room, they were just a young family. He was a husband and a father, not the king. Just a man, vulnerable and grateful. He was the man that she loved. But by the time their baby was a month old, she felt like she was losing him. Priscilla had taken great care to make sure to gain as little weight as she could, and she bounced back into shape quickly. It didn't matter. After Lisa Marie was born, he didn't touch her again for months. And when he did, he followed it up with a lecture about how she was a mother now the special mother of his child. Then he was gone again to shoot another movie. Priscilla felt loneliness closing in on her. Driven by half-remembered childhood ambitions, she decided to do something creative and take a dance class. She developed an affair with the instructor, but it was brief. What she really fell for was the dancing. Years removed from live performances, Elvis began planning a comeback television special that consumed most of his time. Priscilla took more dance classes. Eventually, she was taking one in the morning, one in the afternoon, and two more at night. She was rehearsing four hours a day. She also started listening to music. Music that wasn't Elvis. Tchaikovsky, Santana, Blood, Sweat, and Tears, Ravel. And she joined a dance company. The 1968 television special was a big success, and Elvis was recording again. He booked a 30-day engagement in Vegas, his first live performances in years, and on the back of that success, he went on tour. Priscilla had spent the Vegas gig scanning the front rows to see if Elvis was singing to any woman in particular, but quickly realized it was the whole audience he was having the affairs with. Every audience at every show. He was in love with being loved and adored again. And her life, which had once been all Elvis, all the time, was moving in decidedly un-elvis directions. She added martial arts to her dance classes, studying karate and then taekwondo. She had to take off the false eyelashes and tie back her big hair. She started watching kung fu movies, going to tournaments, and, for the first time since junior high, making friends of her own, friends who didn't even know Elvis. She found herself expressing her own opinions. And if someone made a joke she didn't think was funny, she didn't laugh. If she didn't like a song, she said so. And she got to observe marriages where both partners had equal say. She started a new affair, this one longer-lasting with her carotting instructor. She was now 28 years old, and had spent half her life in the long shadow of Elvis Presley. Her entire worldview had been shaped by him. She felt like she had just woken out of a long sleep, realizing that there was more to life than Elvis. It was time to find out just how much more. Elvis did not take this well. Are you out of your mind? You have everything a woman could want. She really didn't. In any case, he wasn't going to change her mind. Not now. Maybe another time, another place, he said as she left. Maybe so, but this just isn't the time. It was August 16th, 1977, when she got the call. Elvis was dead at Graceland. He was only 42. She was devastated. They'd remained friendly after their divorce she'd spoken with him just a few days earlier, on the phone. Anyone could see that he'd been in terrible health lately. But somehow, she hadn't been prepared for this. Priscilla had thrived as a single woman. She'd run a clothing boutique. She'd become a model and an actress. She was free to do as she pleased. But Elvis? Elvis had never been able to escape being Elvis. A few years later... Elvis's father also passed away, and Priscilla was faced with a tough decision. As her daughter's executor, she was now in control of Elvis' estate, including Graceland. Lisa Marie was nine now, and what Elvis had left for her was not enough to keep up with the massive expenses incurred by the property. Selling her daughter's first home, the one Priscilla herself had known longer than any in her life, was unimaginable. Inspired by fans who gathered regularly at the gates of Graceland, Priscilla conceived of the home as a museum dedicated to Elvis' life and music. It opened to the public in 1982 and quickly began generating a profit. She set up Elvis Presley Enterprises with some business partners and in the following years consolidated the estate's assets after a battle with Elvis' notoriously self dealing former manager, Colonel Tom Parker. In short, she built a business empire. Despite Elvis's once total control over her every thought and action, Priscilla became the one who would control and protect his legacy. Elvis Presley is the eternal king of rock and roll. More than 65 years after he walked into Sun Records to record his first song, his music and image endure. His fans are still legion, and generations of artists owe some debt to his influence. But this isn't about any of them. This is about Priscilla Presley, the woman who reclaimed her life from an idol, then dedicated herself to preserving the memory of her daughter's father. This is about a girl. A Girl comes to you from Double Elvis and is executive produced by Jake Brennan and Brady Sadler. It was created, written, and narrated by me, Eleanor Wells, with additional writing and editing by S.I. Rosenbaum. Scott Janovitz is the show's producer and mixer and provides music and editorial support. Audio editing by Matt Taimi. If you like the show, please subscribe to About A Girl on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And be sure to leave a rating and review. For more great shows from Double Elvis, visit DoubleElvis.com. That's DoubleElvis.com.